You are listening to the Amen Corner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. For more information about the Amen Corner, please follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and all your other favorite social media. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 35 of the Amen Corner. I'm Brad Rothschild. And I'm Stephen Cook. Hello. Hello. Here we are. Here we are again. (laughs) Here we are I don't know why that made me laugh, but it was funny. Because we've never left. Yeah. We have not left our seat in our studio. Hey, I ordered a standing desk. You did? Well, it's 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 something that sits on the desk that can go up and down. So it's basically that. Yeah. Because that's what I work on in the office. And the sitting for eight hours is killing me. I never sit for eight hours. I mean, I, it's not. I don't obviously sit for eight hours. I get up to go to the bathroom, heat up my coffee, well, know. you know, you wander around the house. But, uh, you know, yeah. it's bad for you to sit. We're not built to sit. We're not built to a lot of things. I know. I know. It's the perils of modern modern life. I know. Well, at least we have good sneakers. (laughs) I know. I need a new pair. Maybe I'll support a local business by ordering a pair. How? They're all closed. I know know what I want. Well, no, but where are you going to order it from? There's places to order sneakers from. Come on, man. Local places that are still open? Well, there's a... There's a... there's a, a local, like a franchise outlet of uh, Roadrunner Sports. So I can order it now. Is it still open? It's closed. Yeah, so how can you order it? Well, mail order. I can go on the website. But they're, not, but they're not fulfilling it. No, it's true. So you're not, you're not supporting local business. I know. I'm just trying to do it's something. It's hard to support local I know. A lot of them are closed. A lot of them are closed, but you know, I have to say, and we're sort of breaking our policy. What, I haven't said a word about, about anything. No, no, but I'm about to say that there are more businesses opening up oh, in yeah. the neighborhood. More restaurants are coming back online. Are they for delivery and pickup? Only delivery. Yeah, yeah. Delivery. yeah, we've had that. But, we've had that. No, but I mean, like, it's significant that it feels like we've sort of turned a corner, that uh-huh. a lot of places that shut down immediately yeah. are, are now coming back. Huh. So it may be a harbinger of things to come, and maybe we're just going to be stuck in this holding pattern for a while, but it felt significant at the time. I don't know. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this episode, and and even though we're not going to be discussing, you know, the... The situation. The situation, say, yeah. The situation. As they, they always say in Israel, there's a, there's a word in Hebrew, hamatzav, which means the situation. Uh-huh. And, it, and it pretty much is always applicable to whatever is going on at any given right. time because there's always a situation. Always, right. Which is not to be confused with the situation right. of uh, Jersey Shore. <laughs> did you ever once watch that? I did. I've seen I did not. Episodes. I refused. It seems so awful. It's awful, and I'll tell you more than that. Yeah, Talia has been watching it. Oh, really? She went. You know how the how kids kids these days. Yeah, are going back and binge watching all these old. Oh uh, yeah, Maddie's Maddie's binge watching The Office right now. Yeah. So yeah. Talia has been watching uh, Jersey Shore, and she gets some sort of weird kick out. <laughs> <laughs> Mia did not dig on The Office. We all sat and watched like the first episode. 
And Matt yeah. is like, this is kind of cool. I'm going to stick with this. Mia was like, nah, boring. It's a little, it's it's a little, little yeah. you know. It's a little beyond not her. Necess- not necessarily for her age group, but it's right. very funny. And, you know, some of the humor is quite subtle and yes. lost. It's not broad enough for a yeah. young, younger child. Exactly. exactly. But anyway, so that leads me to what I wanted to talk about, which is some of the challenges that we're facing as parents. Because when we started, when we conceptualized this podcast, one of the yeah. things that we, that we talked about all the time was, you know, how we deal with fatherhood. Right. With being parents. I think, to, I, yeah. I think I got a caveat it, though. Because yeah. you're obviously getting at the challenges of parenting given the current situation. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think I've been doing any parenting. It's all Lauren. You you've been doing. Any, you haven't been doing any parenting. No, I'm. I'm the. I'm the. I have been doing parenting. It's just. You it's. It's we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been. It's been very, very. I don't know. I wouldn't call it difficult, but. Um. I've been thinking a lot, actually a lot about it, and I realized. Last Friday afternoon, as I was kind of wrapping things up for the week, that. We hadn't, you know, sat down as a family and said, in in a couple weeks and said, how's everybody doing? Like, checking in, you know, whatever. Right. And over dinner, I said, you know, I, I said to the girls, I said, you know, how are you doing? How do you feel? Is there anything you want to tell us? And, you know, everybody seemed like they were hanging tough. But I, I, it, then it leads me to wonder, like, are they being truthful? Do they, you know, I remember what it was like being a kid, like, oh, I don't want to tell my parents that I feel this way. I feel awkward about telling them about it and so on and so forth. Because I'm feeling frightened and stressed out and anxiety ridden about about stuff. Like, there's, there really hasn't been good news in a long time. Yeah. And we're in this, and you tell, we're in this kind of, I'll, I mean, to step on you, but yeah. it, we're in like this holding pattern where, you know, usually like, oh, okay, we're usually, we're starting to get psyched up for camp or we're starting to get psyched up for this or for that or whatever, or the end of the school year. And none of that is happening. We're just kind of existing right. in this suspended animation of being in a stay-at-home world. Yeah, I think kids take their cues from their parents. Right. So yep. if we're freaking out, yeah, then they're definitely freaking well, out. Well, so I'm not outwardly not, freaking out. No, I, I, obviously you're not showing them like that you're very concerned about what's going on because that sends bad signals to them. The problem, you know, like you said, we're in a holding pattern, but we're in a holding pattern because there's a lot of uncertainty. Right. And I think kids... Look, adults don't handle uncertainty well. I certainly don't. Certainly children handle it worse. But they look to us, and I, you know, I think more specifically, you know, with my own three kids, my youngest one is the one who is the most impacted by this, I think, emotionally. Uh Uh-huh. I think so. I think it's the same thing with my Mia. Because... She is the type of kid who needs information and she needs certainty. Right. So she actually, the other day I walked in when she was supposed to be doing her classroom learning and she was yeah. she was on her computer watching uh, Governor Cuomo in his daily briefing. Oh, that's interesting. 
So because she wants to know, she wh- keeps asking, like, how long is this going to go on? Do right. you think that school is going to open again? What's happening? What's uh-huh. about the dates? Have we hit the peak number? Are we past it? Like, what? Right. Are, are they coming That's up with a virus? So she's asking for all this data that we just don't have. Right. right? So here, I think it's it's interesting. It's a little bit reversed. Like. My sense is that Mia is more impacted by this emotionally because she isn't up to date. She doesn't want to be up to date like that. Like Maddie's reading everything about it. Yeah. Um, I'm like, you know, I, I, I come down and she's got her face in her phone. I'm like, oh, what are you reading about? And she's like, oh, I'm reading, you know, some article about, you know, the vaccine trials on monkeys or something like that. Um Mia, my Mia seems to be more withdrawn into herself. So if I go in and she's supposed to be doing her homework and she's not, she's like looking at like videos of animals and stuff like that. I think she really misses being at the barn near the horses. I mean, she's really interested in animals and nature and things like that. And she just hasn't been able to do that kind of stuff. Um, she was really looking forward to outdoor education, and I, I get the sense that the, um, she's been, you know, she's kind of ornery, but she's been more ornery than, yeah. and and a little bit more withdrawn because this. And of course, you know, they see I'm a little bit shorter tempered. Like I've had like three stupid fights with Lauren over what I can't I can't even remember, and that's right. usually I can remember it. So it's not, you know. So yeah, there's cues. I think she's. I actually think she's quite anxiety ridden and I don't, I haven't really been able to draw her out and have her say what it is. I can only infer what it is. I think, I think it's really important at this point that even though we don't have answers, what's important for us to convey to the kids is that we're all here together. Well, right. We, we talked about and that. There's, and there's strength that we can draw from being together. Right. We did talk about that. We said, I said, I, you know, we're all here together. These are memories that we're actually making together and we're getting through this together that, you know, and I said, I wouldn't want to be quarantined with anybody else, but no, no question. I say that all the time. The other thing that I'm grateful about is that we have the internet because can you imagine Holy if crap. I, if, if we had been quarantined, if I had been quarantined with my siblings in the seventies or eighties <laughs> with three, with three television channels, right. there would have been, <laughs> been murder. Like, oh my somebody God. would have been murdered. I know. It's just, at least now they can sort of retreat into their own thing. Like you right. said, your Mia is into nature and the outdoors. So she'll, she'll look at videos on that. So each one of them can go back right. into whatever it is that makes them feel a little bit more right. grounded or comfortable. Uh, but I didn't like Bewitched. And my sister loved Bewitched. Yeah. So I didn't like probably, that. You probably would have gotten punched. Oh, it would have been awful. But Just yeah, like I she think, didn't like BJ and the Bear. Well, nobody did. I did. I, uh, that's not good. Come on. I, I think, though, that the long-term effects of this are going to be much more significant than we recognize. Yeah, now. you know, I don't know what I was... It was one of those, you know, moments where I watched 15 minutes of television, and one of the things that they, whoever it was was saying is that, you know, we've been so focused on on 
the situation, the unmentionable situation right. that I think we have not paid enough attention or, or, and it's going to be a shock that we're going to be dealing with emotional issues, mental health issues for a very long time. It's not, yeah. it's going to be adults. It's going to be kids. It's going to be a, a, a lot of people um, yeah. who are going to be fearful or have PTSD. How about that poor physician? There's been in, right. in New York, there was an EMT and there was a physician who both killed themselves. Right. So I, I mean, obviously if you're on the front lines, you right. have a stress level and you're seeing death all the time. Right. And, you know, that, that's different. But for kids whose lives have been completely upended. Right. You know, no sense of again, normalcy. None. And, but the, the, the problem is that there's no sense of when that normalcy right. will be restored. And I and think that, a, and, and that is hard for a lot of people. And I think it's with. really, really, um, I, I think it's really irresponsible for people to be talking about 12 to 18 months or yeah. talking about opening up or talking about the summer. I mean, because I think well, it, it creates, know. it creates, right. We, so I think that's, I don't, you know, in a way, I think that kind of brutal honesty of we don't know is much better because 12 to 18 months seems like a very long time, but it could be longer than that. Well, or the summer creates expectation. Well, yeah, yeah, I understand. 12 to 18 months of kind of this going back and forth between physical right. distancing well, we measures and right. things like that. But we don't really we know. Don't know. And we don't know the efficacy of that and, you know, talk about second waves and this and the other thing. And and so I I don't know. My default is to say we we don't know as difficult as it is and and it's very, very hard that we have to deal with the uncertainty. But I don't want to create expectations that come June we're going to the pool. Right. Right. No, no, there's no question about that. I think think also it's just important to keep emphasizing – you know, like we were talking about earlier, there's nobody I want to be stuck with other than right. you people. Right. We're fortunate that we're all healthy. We have food on the table. Right. And nobody is physically exactly. in danger. Right. And then you think about, like, obviously for us, we can articulate this and we can appreciate it, but it's harder to, you know, have a kid understand and appreciate it. We get to have so much more time with them now. Right, right. right. That we otherwise would. Have, right. You, you sit down and have a meal with them that you prepared yourself. Right. I said. Right? I actually said that to someone in, from the office the other day that uh, in, in an email I said, you know, one of the things that's actually really nice is I have lunch every day with my kids. Right. That's right. awesome. So not only you know they've uh, studies have shown for a long time that you know a lot of lessons get transmitted over. Uh, meals. A meal table, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when families bond. So they talk about the importance of having dinner together, but what about the importance now of having breakfast, lunch, and, and, and dinner, dinner together? together? Right, right. So really, sure. There's no question. There's a lot of fighting that goes on at my dinner table every <laughs> night. Right. Is it? Do, so you keep saying you want to be quarantined with them. Do they say they want to be quarantined with you? I don't. Is think it reciprocated? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, like, oh, you're gonna, we're gonna ship you off to some strangers and you can quarantine <laughs> right. with them? Like, I don't think that's that's on anybody's radar. Screen. Right, right, right. I think for kids, though, the default is to think, well, at least with my parents, I'm safe. Right. Right. right? Well, so, you know what the other right. 
So we may, they, they may not think about it like that, but I think for them, that's the default. Like, of course I'm going to be, I'm going to be here trapped at home with my parents. Who else am I going to be trapped at home with? One of the things that I think is important because it's, for me, it's also, there's, and I, I, I know this is with the kids as well, is that because routines have been upended so much, there's a, that feeling of a loss of control. Yeah. And so setting aside the, you know, schedules that we've created in terms of distance learning and when things are due and stuff like that, but the recognition that there are people who are in need and that there's things that we can do about it, I think does give them a sense of control. So when, um, we did, we recently did a week long food drive at our house, uh, for, uh, the local food center. And this was something that the kids were really into. Not only, you know, it was really nice to see their sense of service and stuff like that, but it was something they could really throw themselves into. And so, you know, constantly checking the bin outside and like, uh, you know, delivering the food and the anticipation of people, uh, the anticipation of people dropping off food and the marketing of it that they did when going around the neighborhood and, and leafleting and so on and so forth, I think was really important in terms of giving them not only a sense of community, but also a sense of control over the situation. Like this is a situation that is hard and difficult and we're fortunate and there's something that actually we can be doing that can be helpful and I think it gives a certain sense of control Mia just hung a poster on our front door you know our front doors are like these two big glass French doors and she just hung a poster on the front doors thanking the mail carrier the UPS guy you know anyway the 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 uh Derek from the from the from the farm who delivers overnight on Monday, Monday, Monday nights, Tuesday morning and stuff like that. Just a big thank you. We appreciate it. And so on and so forth. I just think that, I don't know. There's something about that. I, I, I've seen in both kids, but particularly with Mia, because I think she's taking this in a, in a different way. I think she's a little more withdrawn that these little projects that are like outreach to the world gives her a sense of, satisfaction, a sense of meaning, a yeah. sense of mission, and a certain sense of control over a situation that is just completely bizarro. Yeah, well, it's bizarre for everyone. Yeah. So we, if we can't understand it, what makes us expect yeah. our kids I know. To, to be able to understand it? They can't. Right. Right? So the one thing that I have also told my kids, especially you know, me, my Mia, like, this isn't going to happen again. Like, this has yeah. happened once in a hundred years. Right. Like, you know... This is not something that every other year we're going to have to be quarantining ourselves like this. Well, God, God, I hope not. Until there's a vaccine, um, we're going to be doing right. it. No, but that's that's the point. Right. Yes, we're going to be doing it, but it's not like, okay, we're going to get hit with one of these after another and life will never be, right. will never right. be normal again. But, you know, for Jordan, who is the oldest and who's in college, he's probably the angriest. Oh, yeah, I can just imagine. Because, because he can feel that his future is being shortchanged. And it's not like, well, I just think about what he's lived through. Right. Well, the series of calamities that he's lived through. Starting with nine 11. Right. He was an infant. Right. Uh, yeah. The, the, the economy tanking in 2008 when he was eight years old. Right. Um, the election of the man who shall not be named in 2016. (laughs) But, but he's angry, and he and look. I've talked about this with you on the show before. Right. You know, he and people his age are really angry. Yeah. 
they're angry at our generation and they're angry at the generation above us. And why? Well, it's interesting because I don't see I I don't see our generation being culpable in this at all. I think that well, we've I think American. I think American politics and business, for the most part, have been the have been the province of, still of the, the baby boom generation, yeah, and absolutely. that they have wrought so much damage. They really and have I feel like Gen Xers, who are a small generation, who graduated Listen, into a recession, I, I, and I you know, agree with I agree with. You, I feel like we're cleaning extent, up a lot of shit. To an extent, that's a cop out on our part. To an extent, yeah, because I think to an extent it's very true. Right, yeah. We've, our generation has always gotten kind of the short shrift, because we're a lot smaller. We came yeah. after the baby boom. You know, we were the the bust. The right. generation X was the baby bust generation. Right. Um, and yes, we never we haven't ascended to those positions because the baby boomers refused to relinquish them, and they're the ones who have set the agenda for you know four decades now. Right. But for kids, Jordan's age. They don't necessarily see that as that distinction. Mm. They don't say, "Well, you were born in 1969." Right, right. So, so we're boomers too. Is that the whole? It's the whole it's okay boomer that, thing. It's yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anybody so older say, than that? Anybody older than thirty, I would say. You remember that old adage? You know, don't trust <laughs> right, anyone right. over thirty. Is anybody over it's right more 30. like it's probably more like at this point, don't trust anybody over forty, right? Because anybody over thirty is probably still, you know, struggling with their own life. Because of well, the since, realities. Of, since of we the, still think of each other, uh, ourselves as like kind of 15-year-old idiots, do, do, yeah. do, we, do we fall into the category of not trusting anybody over 30 too? I fucking hate the boomers. Man. Fucking, I hate them too. And you know what? The more that we can hate the boomers, the more that we can show that we're allied with the younger generation. So that's really how Until the younger generation that. annoys me. Well... <laughs> They're going to annoy you. They're going to laugh at your use of technology and they're going to laugh at whatever. But you know what? I, I identify more with his feelings than I do with the feelings of oh, the people above us. Undoubtedly. Right? Undoubtedly. I, I, you know, I just the, it's, the baby boom generation, it's, it, the, the, the worldview, just in general, as a collective, like, you know, I, obviously not everybody is like that, but it, it is crazy just uh, beyond it's me the, it's the narcissism yeah it's the you know re- right. the, the unwillingness to see anybody else's perspective the greed the, the greed I mean, the greed the, is po- horrible the, the greed the, the hoarding of political power the I mean, hoarding just, of everything yeah. the hoarding that's yeah. what they do yeah they're hoarders yeah power money you name what, it I, I think the I think what the kids are learning, at least what my kids are learning at the at the table is the need for profound change. I mean, I can't, you know, in the morning we're sitting around and the paper spread out across the across the countertop of the island in the table and it, there's just a lot of discussion of what is unfair, what needs to be changed, how people are responding to the current situation and this and before in ways that are manifestly cruel and um i think they're getting a, a, a healthy understanding that while there's tremendous promise in american society that that all societies 
need reform and that actually yeah. we're different. You know, this is one of the things. Look, my, my parents' generation, your parents' generation grew up at a time they were middle class, upper middle class, New York area Jews who did not confront major challenges. They didn't go fight in Vietnam. Not my dad. Right. My dad, my dad was a refugee. Right. So okay. He but I, I'm, I'm thinking he in general. Yeah. I'm thinking in general. My dad did fight in Korea. He okay. did come to this country in okay. an impoverished refugee. That's so, all true. But I'm thinking yeah. about it in general, that, that kind yeah. of generation generally. I'm, I'm imputing my parents' yeah. experience. My father was in ROTC, but he didn't go fight in the Korean yeah. War. You know, they were – whatever. That – so there was this very – at least being post-World War II generation, Kennedy li- – Johnson liberals, there was this sense of the positive use of American power at both home and abroad. And that, that promise really has fallen short for a a variety of reasons. And the idea, and I think one of the things maybe Madeline and me are picking up in the conversations that we're having at the table is the need for constant renovation and and reimagination of the promise of the country. Right. Maybe and not in those terms, you know, maybe not that, thinking about that it specifically is, in those terms. That is the genius of America, right? Right. Like, we can renew those, uh, the, but what's, a better word, the covenants that we have. Of right? course, and what's 60s, frustrating is that people are trying to actually snuff that out. Well, yeah, I yes. Think. Yes, but, you know, when you say, like, the need for profound change, and we've also alluded right. to this before on the show, you know, profound change doesn't come without a humongous cost. Yeah, and that's right. And it could very well be that this is a cost that we're paying right now. Mm. So in the way that we traditionally think about it, the cost is in blood, right? And people take well, to the streets <laughs> and they're street fighting or there's real fighting. But this is, there are people dying, right? right? We hit 60,000 60, deaths 000. today right? In, oh, in what, six weeks? Six weeks. Six weeks, 60,000 deaths in America. Right. So that is... The calamity that is the catastrophe. So hopefully, the ki- our kids will be part of and reap the benefits of change that's to come. But, but they're the ones who are going to be the agents of right. that change. They might be still a little too young, right? Because I feel like there is going to be an acceleration of that right. change in the next few years. Because well, I think people like done, I think like Jordan they, and Seth and Justin, but they're still young. Right, but I think they'll be on the cusp of that, no? They are. They are. College kids, yeah, and the kids graduating right now. But it's not going to come easily. It's not going to come with a high price tag on it. Yeah. There there are many, many fights to come. But they're going on already. Right. So, right. So when we look at our, you know, but I don't feel like they've been. I don't feel like they've been fully joined yet. I mean, one of no, the they things, haven't. and one of the they things haven't. is, it, will the current situation be galvanize people in that way? It has to because the, what this has done is it has laid bare so many of the problems of the society. Right. They are now out in the open. Yeah. Right? It's not an accident yeah. that it's minority these, communities these that are s- being hit hardest by oh, this. It's not, an accident. Yeah. it's not an accident that the essential workers are the least are the lowest paid workers paid, and the least right. protected. Right? right. It's not an accident that people without health insurance are suffering 
in just in a disproportionate way. And all and right and all coming together, all the vectors on that are our minority communities. The yeah, you know, uh, yeah, right, yeah. So again, you know, when we studied history, like not in college, not in grad school, but in elementary school and middle school, or what we call the junior high school, or in high school, and you have like your your survey books that just sort of gloss over everything. Like I was thinking about this the other day, like Teddy Roosevelt, the trust buster, right? You read that as a kid and you're like, well, yeah, it's a good thing. You get rid of these humongous corporations that wield way too much power over people's lives. And that's a good, and you think, or at least I did when I was learning this, it's like, well, yeah, that's just how it went. And, you know, everybody sort of folded because they realized that this was the right thing to do. But that's not the reality. Right. The reality is that people went kicking and screaming into that. That's exactly. Or you know, the the the, the fights over the New Deal, the fights over Social Security, right. the fights right. over Medi- the, the continuing fights over Medicare and Medicaid. Look, yeah. look, look at what's happening right now. The owners of the meatpacking industry oh my God. are insisting that the primarily immigrant and illegal right. immigrant go community go back to work in right. places right. that are hotspots. This is absolute cruelty. Right. Without guaranteeing them With, any sort of physical safety. And if they don't, right. and, and they are not, and if they, because the president has invoked the Defense Production Act on meat processing facilities, they would not be entitled to benefits if they decided that they felt it was unsafe right. and they didn't go to work. Right. They the voluntarily abject don't go back cruelty. To work. Yeah. And the cruelty is the point of this. Right. Right. That's right. So, so yes, maybe, you know, 35 years from now when people look back on this period from the history books and yeah. they say, and a whole wave of reforms were initiated as a result and America became a more equitable place. And that's what should happen. That's what the history books should say. Right. But in history is not neat. Yeah. Right? Well, it's look, not clean. It's going to that's, we're gonna go this in fits and starts. This we're is, gonna go forward and we're gonna go backwards. But this is something that the kids actually in a, in a way can be hopeful to look forward to and to be part of. Right. To be part well, they're of they're gonna have to it, be part to, of it. Right. Because the system isn't gonna work for them. Right. It's not working for any of right. us. Right. So they're the ones who are gonna be the agents of these of this change. Right. I don't think I think they're still too young, at least right. you know my kids. Your kids and my two girls, right. they're too young to really recognize that right now. I feel process, like... The process is But started. I feel like, you know, with the... with the Going back to the massacre um, of the high school kids in Florida, there is a certain amount of mobilization of kids even as young as middle school. That's true. That's so I, true. And, and, and Madeline certainly is someone who is, you know... Up on the issues, <laughs> I walked into it. And I, I wanted to play music on the Alexa, and it was like, "Sorry, I can't do that." Another one of your things is engaged, and I was like, "Hey, Matt, do you listen to music?" She's like, "I got NPR on what?" <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think kids are at a younger age being mobilized, and by the time they come into their own yeah. through college and immediately thereafter, will will be those agents of change. I, I certainly so. hope so. Yeah, they're the only real hope that we have. Right. But for now, uh, for now, all we can do is try to, you know, hug them right. and let them know that things are going to end up being all right. Eventually. Someone's going to hug me, to- and that we're all together. Yeah, nobody's going to hug you. You know what? That's part of being an adult. I, I know. I tried to negotiate uh, 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 two hugs an hour from Mia 
if I would go and refill her cup with water, not from the sink, but from like the water purifier. And she said, "I'll work? take sink water." No, she wouldn't have me. Yeah, the older they get, the less likely they are to hug you. I'm sorry. <laughs> she was like, we but, had this uh, whole negotiation going on. You're going to really? have to have another kid if you want somebody to hug you. <laughs> no, nah, I'm too tired for that. Whatever. Anyway. All right. All right. Well, this was cathartic, I think. Yeah, it definitely was cathartic. Um, but now I'm looking for a hug. All right. All right. We're out. Everybody stay We're healthy. Out. And, oh, and by the way, Ramadan Kareem. And wash your hands. Wash your hands. Bye.